J-Cut, and this is The K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. My name is James. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I am one half of the Pro Not To Say podcast. I've written a few articles for Films Fatale, and yesterday I completed the Oscars death race. Woo! I'm Rachel. I love classic films, international cinema, and silent film, and I still haven't learned the Natu Natu dance very well. Um... I'm not even going to get started on on that because if I, if I try to do the not to not to dance, I might actually break both of my legs at the same time. Uh, my name is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love international and art house cinema, which we have not had an opportunity to discuss really for the last couple of weeks because it's Oscar season and they don't really honor that stuff too much. So, um, welcome back for those who listened to our first episode. Uh, this is our second episode, but in case you're interested in the following categories, best makeup and hairstyling, best costume design, best production design, all three shorts categories, uh, animated feature, doc feature, and international feature, and both supporting acting categories, head over to our part one of this episode. Otherwise, this is our Oscars roundtable part two, where we will be going into the following categories, uh, ranking them from worst to best, uh, the nominees, um, Later on in the episode, we're going to be covering both screenplay categories, both acting categories, best director, and best picture. You don't want to miss it. But for right now, what we're going to be doing is uh, I'm going to quickly go over everybody's picks for some smaller categories. So both musical categories, sound, um, visual effects, editing, and cinematography. I asked for your personal favorites of each category and what you think is actually going to win, which is not necessarily always going to be the same answer. So um, I'll also briefly go over all of the the nominees uh, for each category when we approach them. So are we ready to begin with this Oscars bonanza? Absolutely. Okie dokie. So for uh, our first category, we're going to go over best original score, which is just Always a fun category. Love great music. And we've got uh, the following nominees. All Quiet on the Western Front, Babylon, The Banshees of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and The Fablemans. So, uh, starting off with Rachel here, your favorite, and this is interesting because I feel like uh, you've got a lot of things to say about this film and not on a positive light, but your favorite score is actually uh, All Quiet on the Western Front of the nominees. But you think Justin Hurwitz is going to win for Babylon. Exactly. Yes. I recognize credit where credit is due. Uh, James, your favorite score is the one for Everything Everywhere All at Once, the one by Son Lux, which is actually a terrific inventive score. But you think Banshees of Inishirin is actually going to win this. Yes. Um, I don't remember what I put on Phil's Fatale, but for right now, as much as I criticize this film, Justin Horowitz's score for Babylon was probably my favorite, and I actually think it's going to win the whole thing as well. So that's it for that. Something that's going to be a little bit more up in the air, shall we say, is uh, the best original song category. And oh god, okay, always gonna... weird, always unpredictable, and always nominating really substandard stuff because. Anyway, that's a rant for another day. Uh, This year wasn't too bad, um, outside of a couple of head scratchers. So, we've got uh, the following nominees. Applause from Tell It Like a Woman. Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, which is ironic because uh, Tell It Like a Woman was the movie with hand-holding here, but I digress. Uh, Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. 
Natu Natu from RRR, the only nomination RRR got, thanks India, and This Is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once. So, uh, dipping into each of these original songs, uh, Rachel, your favorite is Natu Natu, uh, written, or music by um, Kiravani, I don't know, I think that's how you pronounce it, and the lyrics by uh, Chandra Bose, uh, which has done really well in the awards season, so uh, you also think that it's going to win. Uh, to that point, uh, and you made a special note. Uh, no thanks to uh, Diane Warren's applause from Tell Like a Woman. I respect Diane Warren, but come on, this song was just. Eh. It's a topic for another day, but I I still feel like it's a little suspicious that this even got nominated when the film, from my recollection, was not even finished by the time it was nominated. But I digress. Uh, James, do you have RRR? Instead, you also have RRR as your favorite. Um, not to, not to, but uh, oh, James, uh, you, <laughs> James here thinks that Diane Warren's going to win for applause, and please, God, tell me why. There is absolutely no way they would nominate her this many times and not give it to her. Don't forget, she just won the honorary, like in this same cycle. That's also true. Um, but like, yeah, I feel like the honorary was their way of saying, okay, you got this one. I, I think the nomination's probably because she still has friends that want her to win. I, I don't know. I personally feel like um, Natu Natu's going to win myself, but my own favorite song of this bunch, I've got to go with Lift Me Up by Rihanna and Ryan Coogler and uh, uh, Ludwig Gorenson. Uh Black Panther Wakanda Forever, just like the previous Black Panther film, has a banger of a hit that got nominated. Still sad that Sizzle lost and Kendrick Lamar lost, but... You can't be Lady Gaga all the time. But maybe this year. Maybe this year Black Panther might win. Don't know. So, for our next category, we have the best sound nomination. The best sound nominations. And your nominees for this. Your nominees for this, and I'm not going through all of the personal names. There's just far too many in this category, and it sucks writing these every year. Um, Best sound. All Quiet on the Western Front. Avatar, The Way of Water. The Batman. Elvis and Top Gun Maverick. So when we look at Rachel's picks, your favorite is Top Gun Maverick, which I think is a great choice. And you, th- you went with a fairly, um, seems like a very practical selection for your winner. All quiet on the Western front. War movies always have really cool sound and they always grab attention. And to be fair, whether you like the film or not, it does really well in the sound department. And uh, to that point, James, your favorite was All Quiet on the Western Front. But you think Avatar The Way of Water is actually going to win this. Yeah, I thought, um, I mean, All Quiet on the Western Front, those movies aren't easy to pull off when it comes to sound. So it's like, being someone who does sound, I know what kind of work goes into doing stuff like that. So it's like, that one was just like, okay. Because it's one of those things like, it's very rare that you hear bad sound in a movie because it happens so much. So you have to make sure it's on point. And for the, you know, war movies, it's like, there's so many things that go on, but I think it's avatar because it's, I just, I think that's, I expect that of the Academy. Plus they had to kind of like create new sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm still upset that it's not still two categories for sound mixing and sound editing. Cause I feel like we would get a much more better representation as to how these things work, but I digress. I don't remember what I put in Phil's Fatale, but today I'm feeling all quiet on the Western front is a pretty good pick for a number one. Um, as for what we'll actually win, I think this is going to talk on Maverick. Interesting. We're all circling around the same couple of films, but in different ways. But that's usually the case for tech, right? And I feel like that's going to be no different for the next category, uh, Best Visual Effects. Um, And here are your nominees for that. 
the same usual suspects. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. So um, with visual effects, Rachel, you've got a twofer here. Your favorite is Avatar The Way Way of Water, and you you think that's actually going to win. The underwater effects were cool, and... Yeah, that that's pretty much all I can say. Uh, for James, uh, one of your favorite films of last year was The Batman. I remember you were super excited when it first came out, and uh, that holds true. That's your favorite for visual effects. But you also think Avatar The Way of Water is going to win. Yeah, I thought Batman primarily because it, it, for that, it's you know it's not all computer effects. It's like the amount of practical effects that are used for something like a Batman movie is really what I appreciate. But I mean, Avatar, I think, is going to win because of the underwater. I mean, that... You you can't not appreciate that. I I mean I, you know, have my thoughts about James Cameron and Avatar, but he he pulled off the visuals again. I also think it would make a very cool stoner movie, judging by the other people in the theater. That oh my god, Avatar: The Way of Grass, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're not we're not going to go down that path. Uh, <laughs> um. I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. My favorite effects were Avatar The Way of Water, and I think that's going to win as well. So uh, now we're going to get into best film editing. or uh, to... For my money, is the most important tech category. but Absolutely it is. I mean, it assembles the film, and it's been there from the very beginning of motion pictures. Um, additionally, to segue horribly for keeping up the, uh, the grass metaphors, uh, best cutting would have been more appropriate for the, uh, those audience members of Avatar, I guess. Um, but instead, best film editing, here are your nominees. Uh, Avatar is actually not even here, so there you go. Uh, the Banshees of Minasheeran, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. So, Rachel, your favorite, and the thing, and, and the film you think is going to win, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, but can we knock off a couple of points for them for just giving a really unwieldy title? <laughs> because of every time we have to say it. Yes. Um, James, uh, for your editing, you've got the exact same thing. Your favorite editing is everything everything everywhere all at once, and you think it's actually going to win too. Yeah, I, if it doesn't, then I just, I don't know what they'd be thinking. The, the amount of intricate editing they have to do, also match cutting they had to do for that movie. I've revisited the film, and the editing is actually better than I remember. I think it's sensational. However, I'm still going to have my own twofer. Uh, my favorite and the winner is going to be Top Gun Maverick. I think the uh, final sequence, um, which lasts a very long time, is just impeccable. I don't know. That's where my money is. I would like for Top Gun to get something because it was not for good. screenplay. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Justice uh, for Tom Cruise, best actor, or, or most best popular film. Thank God that never took off. Right, speaking of t- things, they that went take back off. on that before there even was a ceremony. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Um, that was not a good look. But you know what is a good look? Best cinematography. You know, Ooh, uh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, one of them worked. So um, here are your nominees for Best Cinematography. All Quiet on the Western Front. Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Elvis, uh, that movie which kind of squeaked its way in, Empire of Light. And Tar. Okay, so which film looks the best? What film had the best photography and use of lighting and color um rachel your favorite was uh was bardo which i cannot disagree with that and you think all quiet on the western front's actually going to win it again war movies always great tech material 
I didn't think so at first, but it seems like it's really got a shot now to win this category. Well, what did James think? Because we got to have the corroboration here. Well, James was in agreement, at least, that Barda was the best shot film. And he's also in agreement that it's not going to win. But James, you think Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is going to win this? I think if Elvis is going to win anything, it'll be that. Because it's like, I, I I thought it was like, it was a decent film. I mean, the story of Elvis, it's like, I'm, I'm either here nor there for it. But Baz Luhrmann always knows how to collaborate with a cinematographer. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, my personal favorite is also Bardo. I mean, Iñárritu films typically always look fantastic. So uh, this one might be his best or one of his best looking, like it's just sensational to look at. Um, I don't remember what my initial prediction was. I'm going to go with All Quiet on the Western Front winning for now because I feel like there's just been a bit of an award season push. Um, I don't know. We kind of skimmed. nominations, you guys, for, for an international <laughs> film and a remake. <laughs> Uh, well, a remake or a secondary adaptation, depending on how you look at it. But, Rachel, before you get too harsh on the film, I will grant you this podium to completely, completely skewer all cards on the front because we are done our quick categories. Now we are going into our actual ranking. So, what we're going to do is head into the final six categories and discuss each film as we're ranking them and why we think, you know, which one's going to win, which one's our favorite in the category. He, we're starting off this wasn't planned but this is a perfect segue you ha, you're gonna get your opportunity here's your nominees for best adapted screenplay right i'm gonna keep my commentary on this pretty snappy or we'll be here all night um but so uh just uh can you throw us the nominees <laughs> absolutely uh here are your nominees uh, <laughs> uh all quiet on the western front uh, right there front and center um glass onion and knives out mystery the only nomination this film got uh, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. So, what is your number five? Uh, this is not going to surprise anyone, but it's All Quiet on the Western Front. Boom. I think it was a good movie. I just don't think it was a good adaptation. It And there was a lot of fuss in Germany about this because it's considered a very important work. Um, it changed some things from the novel to the point where I think they, there's been some speculation that they pretty much slapped on All Quiet on the Western Front and then they had very little in common except for a couple of characters. In particular, the ending really damages the message from the book, in my opinion. And it really misses the point. And I can't really spoil how, but the 1930 adaptation and the novel both really display the randomness and the utter uncaring nature of the war. And I think the ending really undermined that point. So... Yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front sucked as an adaptation, and it is number five for me. Top Gun, again, I think it was a good movie, but its strength was not its screenplay. I'm not totally sure why it's here. Um, Glass Onion, serviceable whodunit. It's really only adapted because of Benoit Blanc being from the last movie, but I'll, I'm glad it's here and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Women Talking was splendid. It was powerful. It made full use of the story and of the characters. But ultimately, I'm going to have to go with Living. Because I just think it really distilled one simple question down to a fine point. It was written by a Nobel Prize winner and one of my favorite all-time authors, Kazuo Ishiguro. And it adapted a movie that is quite beloved by many film fans, but also made it its own and adapted it into a new setting quite seamlessly. So Living is my number one for best adapted screenplay. Do you think Living is going to win the award or what do you think is going to? I 
think that they're going to throw women talking about and give it screenplay. And I think that is entirely warranted and it will make Sarah Polly a winner. Please, for the love of all of Canada, let this be a reality. Canada represent. And Miriam Taves, who the uh, originally wrote the novel, is one of Canada's top writers and she is simply underread. So go read some of her stuff. Actually, that's, uh, I'm guilty of that as well. I need to do that as well. So thanks for finding me. Um, I might even pick up this book. James, what is your number five? Mine's all quiet on the Western front because I thought it was, I, I thought it was a good movie. I just thought it was, it was what, what I expected. I mean, like I said before, it's a war movie. I know what to expect from war movies unless they like, you know, try to deviate, which not a lot do. Um, my fourth is Top Gun. I thought they, I thought it was a good job at adapting, it, it, you know, a sequel so many years later, I thought it was good, but it, you know, again, it falls short from being higher on the list. Uh, I went with the living third and my top three was like it's more subjective than anything like the bottom two are kind of more objective for me but this one is like i I thought it was really good and i thought it was very well performed but yeah i just yeah i don't know i i just i needed a third and that's what it was uh women talking i think was very well written i like the snappiness of the dialogue like it it was like time wasn't wasted with any of the dialogue and i just i also love just like you know just in general how much personality they gave each individual character, especially given the setting and that it's kind of like a, a, you know, unrealistic for the setting and the situation. So I thought they did that really well, but I got to go with uh, glass onion first. I don't know what it was. I think it was Ryan Johnson improved on, I think some of the, you know, the faults of the first one with the second one. And I got to say like the twist he had for this one, I was not expecting. So yeah, I don't know. There was just something about it. I'm also excited for the third one because I, I just know he's going to be even better than this one. But as far as winning, I think it's going to go to women talking. So it sounds like we will probably all be in agreement for what we think will win. I'm just going to say it right now. I think women talking is actually going to win as well. My rationale is that it's up for best picture. Enough people from the Academy had to vote for it to be nominated for best picture. I think they're all coming from the writing Academy members. So I feel like that's probably going to be, I'm fingers crossed, uh, Sarah Pauly's first Academy Award win. So my ranking otherwise is quite a little bit different, actually. Um, number five is Top Gun. I think that's the weakest element of the story, of, of the entire film. I don't think it's necessarily a bad screenplay, but it's obviously very serviceable when it comes to nostalgia and relying on obvious tropes, obvious callbacks. I think it's a little bit, um, artificial in that sense. Uh, number four, sorry, James, is uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery. Uh, my whole thing is, if you could guess who the uh, the murderer is, it doesn't really necessarily make the entire journey there worthwhile. Having said that, I think Glass Onion's an improvement on Knives Out. And I will agree with you that at least the twist is completely unpredictable and makes up for the entire film being, um, at least the resolution being very... Uh, very obvious, in my opinion, once again, from Mr. Ryan Johnson. Number three, Aquan on the Western Front. I wasn't as bothered, I think, by the adaptation changes, the original source material, and the uh, the 30 film, which, by the way, is the better version. So if you like this one, please seek it out. It's one of the greatest war films of all time. Um, the, me- the original message was, uh, look at how war affects people, especially those who are indoctrinated within it and uh, are told that it's going to be helping them serve their country when they are basically abandoned and uh, left to fester with their PTSD. It's awful. This film is a very different look. It's how 
our choices, um, however small or big they are, cost millions of lives when it comes to wartime. I get it. I feel like it's fine. Um, but as an adaptation, it's it's a good adaptation, but it's not better than than the original source material. So I'm in agreement on that. Number two is... Um, is oh, before you go into that, Andreas, mm-hmm. one thing that's occurred to me is that the first All Quiet on the Western Front was made in living memory of World War One, and this one really was not, except for maybe people who were small children at the time. Nobody really experienced the war who was alive. That is actually a very good point, because um, the, the 30 film was basically trying to marinate on what they had just experienced. We're like almost a hundred, we are a hundred years removed from that. There are no veterans left alive from that war. Exactly. And how many people who are alive in the world when it happened? Probably very few. Um, That is actually a very good point. Um, Number two is living. Rachel, you're absolutely right. I am a massive fan of um, of Akira Kurosawa, and Ikiru is one of my all-time favorite films. I was a little apprehensive with this film, having said that, if there's anybody who could take an original existing material and give it some real life and substance to it, it's, um, it's Ikiru, who's one of the greatest contemporary writers. And this could have easily been a Hollywoodized, sanitary, retread, just half-baked, half-assed sort of attempt but Ishiguro makes it poetic. He makes it so meaningful and just so beautiful. And I remember when I first saw the film, I just couldn't help comparing it with with Ikiru. But like as time has passed, it's kind of its own thing. He really made it his own thing. And as big as Bill Nye is, I view this as an Ishiguro film. I honestly do. I think what he did with it is just so beautiful. And um, if he wins, he'll be only the second person to have both a Nobel Prize and an Oscar. And the first is Bob Dylan. Mr. Bob Dylan. Yes, Bob Dylan, the legendary Bob Dylan. Can't sing his praises enough. Um, same thing with Sarah Polly, my number one. Uh, as a woman talking, I think this is such a screenplay-driven film. And the dialogue, as brought up before, just rings so true. is so sharp. Almost every line is poignant. Uh, I think what Sarah Polly did um, is just magnificent, the way that she adapted this screenplay um and once again i also predict that it's that it's going to win shall we move on to best original screenplay if you dare okie dokie well i feel like in general this is the more um refreshing of the screenplay it's not that adapted is usually bad it's just different original you don't know what they're going to come up with and this is what they did here are your nominees the banshees of inishirin everything everywhere all at once the fablemans Tar and Triangle of Sadness. Oh my God! All right, Rachel, uh, do do your stuff. Rank them. All right. So number five, I pick the Fablemans. I don't think it's a bad screenplay. I just think it's a screenplay that does what it should for the film and nothing more. And that is great. Tar, same thing. Put it at number four. I just thought it went a little less conventional, so I gave it extra points. E E A A O, I put as number three, and I sound like a dolphin right now, but. Again, I think this was very inventive, going to all kinds of cool places. It is a solid entry. Triangle, I thought, just went wild and off the charts and whole hog, and I applaud its brazenness as much as it exasperates me. So it's at number two. Banshees, I'm going to go off Andreas's point for women talking that I think this was a screenplay-driven film. So I just really think this was the film's greatest strength, and uh, it's clever, it's heartfelt, and I think it's number one, and it's also going to win. Sounds good to me, and I couldn't agree more. Um, as much as I love Martin McDonough's direction on this film, it's his screenplay which once again shines through. 
Mm-hmm. That and Carrie Condon being mean to everybody. <laughs> that and that's lest we forget Jenny the donkey. <laughs> uh, James, uh, what about you? What's your ranking look like? Uh, Fableman's at number five. I mean, and much to the sentiments that Rachel gave, it's it's average. It works, but it's just average. Uh, Tar number four. I thought it was well written, and I, I think the strength comes in a lot of. Um, I don't know in a, you know, Lydia Tara's kind of quippy nature. I think her dialogue is the strongest in that movie. And I think it's like, that's why the character works is because the dialogue works. But as a screenplay as a whole, I thought it was just okay. Now three through one was difficult. Cause I was like, how, how do I order this? But um, I will try and go sadness at three. Cause it, it was, it was really good. I think it was just like, that's just the one that was three. I put Banshees at number two because Martin McDonough is a, a very talented screenwriter and just, you know, especially, especially, in, especially in working with uh, Colin Farrell again, it's just, it, it seems like he writes for these actors and not, and not just writing characters. Like, you know, when he puts together these movies, he's like, it, it's almost like the dialogue fits these people in general, but number one, everything everywhere all at once. I think it's just, not only invented, but there's just certain moments where I was just like, this is amazing. Like the, you know, uh, the the whole thing where uh, Rakakuni, but she meant Ratatouille. It's like, that is just an absolute treasure of a scenario to write. And just overall, just I think it would just, just the way it flowed in the kind of the nature of uh, the whole multiverse that they were exploring. But as far as a win, I think it's going to go to Banshees. Alrighty, for mine, I don't think uh, anything has changed in terms of my rank, my, my original rankings. Um, like everybody else, the field moments is last. Listen, uh, Steven Spielberg and, and Tony Kushner are a fantastic duo. Um, I love what uh, Spielberg can do with Kushner's words, and I feel like Spielberg actually uh, co-writing this time around and bringing up a lot of his own personal details. It's very valuable, but again, this is... Um, if we're ranking here, this is like the most obvious screenplay. I feel like, um, I feel like that's for sure the weakest, but the top four are a little bit more neck and neck. Um, number four, I apologize, everybody. I've got everything everywhere all at once, which I still think is quite well, well written. And the more I revisit the film, which in case any listeners don't know, or if uh, either of you don't know, I actually own every best picture winner ever. Um, so I have pre-ordered, uh, maybe spoiling a little bit here. Pre-ordered everything everywhere all at once. I've got it on fork and I did rewatch it the other day. Um, on a third watch, it keeps getting better and better. And I feel like each uh, each line kind of rings more true. And it's a very, not in a bad way, but complicated screenplay. I think it's really well written. I just kind of prefer the other three in this category. Um, number three is Triangle of Sadness by Ruben Ostland. Uh, Another film where the more I visit it, the more I kind of appreciate it more and more. I remember kind of being like, I, I liked this film, but I didn't love it. I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like I love it now. It's a little bit sick and sadistic and where the direction kind of falters and he lingers on stuff for too long. That's where the screenplay kind of saves the day. And that's where he's at his strongest with this film. Um, love it. It's just bonkers. Uh, number two is Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inishirin. Like everybody else, I'm in agreement that he is a hell of a screenwriter, and this might be his magnum opus. Can't really add anything more to that. I know I'm in disagreement here, but my number one is uh, is Tar by Todd Field. 
there's just something about this film where for me, I felt like every single moment was just savored. And the fact that I was still getting expository information that didn't feel like it was thrown away towards the final 20 minutes of the film, um, learning more about, uh, about Lydia Tarr and who she was as a person when she was younger, was just beautiful. I feel like there's just so much poignancy, so much meaning, so much depth. Um, I know the dialogue might not be as snippy as like, it might not be as snappy as some of the previous entries here, but I feel like a screenplay is so much more as well. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to win. My initial prediction was Banshees of Inishirin, but I actually think it's going to go to, yeah, everything everywhere all at once. So we'll see what happens. Uh, before we get into our acting, directing, and best picture categories, um, Let's not do what the Academy Awards do and completely forget that they actually have Lifetime Achievement Awards. Right. So we have three awarded this year, and they're all to very deserving people. There's Yuzhan Palsi, who is a director and screenwriter, and her stuff is very much dealing with social issues. So race and gender and especially colonial context. She's originally from Martinique. And her body of work is just really strong and really... um, I'm glad the Academy's recognizing it, let's put it that way, because it's been way too long. And then Diane Warren, who we've discussed a bit, finally won an Oscar, an honorary Oscar. And it's very rare, actually, that actors will be in competitive and honorary Oscars um, at the same time. The only person I can think of who was was Harold Russell for the best years of our lives, and that was more of a glitch than anything. And Henry Fonda also won an, uh, an honorary award one year prior to his only competitive award. So that's interesting. Anyway, she's had a very long screen or uh, songwriting career and absolutely deserves to be recognized in whatever way. Just not for applause, please. And then we've got Peter Weir, who was famous for many films in Australia, as well as The Truman Show and Master and Commander. Master and Commander is one of my personal favorites. And again, each of these winners has such a great body of work that I'm really glad they're getting honored. Yeah, I feel like the Academy usually gets it wrong in general, but when it comes to Lifetime Achievements, they, they've they got some pretty good picks usually. Couldn't agree more with that. Uh, speaking of the Academy potentially getting things wrong, oh God, dare we look at these nominees. Okay, so uh, first off, we're going to get into the Best Actress. Oh God. <laughs> the best Everything act- about this is weird, this whole lineup. Oh my god, this is so tough. This is one of the toughest categories. This was phenomenal. For best actress, uh, here are your nominees. We've got in alphabetical order of um, of the star, not the film. Uh, we got Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. And my heart sank until they finally announced her because she's last. Her name starts with a Y. It's Michelle Yo for Everything Everywhere All at Once. God. What if there's a tie and it's two Michelles? Oh, that I mean, that would be hilarious. Unfortunately, I love Michelle Williams. I don't know if that's happening. But a tie? We've seen a tie before with uh, Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand. You never know. Alrighty, what, what is your what is your five? Right, so I've got a complicated strategy for the winner, so we'll get to that later. But um, I put Williams at number five. And it's not because there's anything wrong with her performance. I just think it's very much in her wheelhouse. And I think if the role had been beefier, she might have had a fighting chance. To Armas, I put it number four. And um, first of all, part of that is for uh, being the only salvageable aspect of that mess of a film. 
But also, she gets a lot of flack for her accent and for certain small details, but I really think she captured the essence of who Marilyn was and her persona. And I just think she did a great job with that. And again, like, that movie was trash and I'm just amazed anybody anything good came from it. Uh, then there's a big jump and we get to Riseboro at number three. I just think she did a really great job at a character that's rather unlikable. And she saw the hope in this role and she brought it forward and she was just fabulous. And I know there was controversy around her nomination, but I don't think any of that controversy should sit with her performance. Uh, for number two, I put Yo. I just, I had such a hard time sorting out Blanchett versus Yo. They're both so good. They both gave career best performances. They're both so talented. And um, she just had to navigate so many different things and still stay true to the essential character in the middle. And that is very hard to pull off. But I think Tar is a movie that was so balanced on the character of Lydia Tar and being portrayed properly. And that is why I put Blanchette at number one. I think Blanchette just absolutely rocked it. A very, very difficult performance. One that she essentially, even though the character was written, she had to draw out Lydia Tar herself. And I think it was a phenomenal achievement. I think it will sit in the top... Um, in sort of the top list of great film performances of actors of any gender. So I put her at number one, but I had a very, very hard time doing it. That said, I think she's going to have to contend herself with two Oscars because I think Yo's taking it home. That said, I could see a scenario where Blanchett and Yo split the votes in Riseboro triumphs because stranger things have happened, but right now I'm going with Yo. I think that was all very well said, and I'm not exactly in a disagreement. The fact that people are touting this as one of... Blanchett's best performances, in fact, possibly her best performance, and she's already considered one of the greatest. This might go down as one of the greatest performances of all time. James, do you feel the same way? Oh man, this is going to be fun. Oh, <laughs> okay. Number five, Andrea Rasborough. Ooh, okay. Um, so I'm I'm picking. I have specific reasons that. Actually, I'm just gonna be. I'm, I'm actually being petty for some of these. Andrea Rasborough. This is the third movie. This is the third year in a row we've had a movie with mom with substance abuse issues, and it's just getting stale for me. We've had more than one movie about substance abuse issues this year. Yeah, this year alone, we had Causeway. Um... Oh yeah, we had that. But I, I think specifically, like, it, it was almost like a better version of Hillbilly Elegy, except this one was actually like worth viewing. That's true. <laughs> uh, Michelle Williams. I thought she did good, but I think it is just like, I, I think it was a very good performance, but it was like a very standard for what I expect from a Steven Spielberg film. You know, it was good. I think it was just, it wasn't anything to be like, you know, it, it's not worthy, but I just think it's compared to some of these other roles. Now here's where it gets fun. Kate Blanchett at number three. Oh, okay. Okay. This was a really good performance. I'm not going to deny that. But I think... Yeah, I don't really have anything bad to say about the performance. I think it's just more so it's... It was a really great performance, but it's like... I expect this of her. There wasn't anything particular that really, like... Maybe think this is one... Like, I, like I'm not one of those people who think it's one of the best performances of all time. I thought she did really great. I mean, I wouldn't expect her to, like, mess this role up, but... You know, I, I mean, I have my other 
gripes about tar and we'll get into that later but oh, i mean much to andre's chagrin <laughs> <laughs> but um okay don't hate me for this Ana de armas at number two hey she was good it was the problem is it's the movie's fault the movie itself this was a waste of a casting like had they done a had they done a story of marilyn monroe similar to the vein of like how did they they did um my work with marilyn maybe no, I I mean more so oh, no, like a, another movie. Got nominated for. That's true. No, I'm I'm thinking if they did something along the lines of like Steve Jobs. Ah, uh, okay. Because that was a really really great portrayal after that uh, Jobs movie like bombed. But if they did something like that, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't really care for Norma Jean has daddy issues. Also, I didn't realize this was the second time they adapted that book, which seems silly to me. Wait, it is. Yeah, they did like a, a it was like a two part miniseries done years ago that adapted the same book. Oh right, I forgot about that. Yeah, but I just thought it was like it's such a great casting. It's just unfortunate it was wasted on like really bad fan fiction. And then of course Michelle Yeoh number one because she is an absolute treasure, especially in this movie. And I think just this character having to deal with such complicated emotions in general in life, but also with this bizarre scenario she's in, she just pulled it off perfectly. And, and I think she's going to take the win. There's a lot of people very say, saying very disparaging things about her in regards to her nomination. There was one person I saw in a comment saying like, she shouldn't saying she shouldn't win. I was like, hold up. Whoa, wait, what do you mean by that? Like, why? I don't know. People are being really weird about it. Oh God. Uh, let's not pay any mind to that. Um, my list is actually, uh, I think identical to yours, Rachel. Uh, number five, and Michelle Williams is one of my favorite actresses of all time. I'm serious about that. I'm upset that she hasn't won an Oscar yet. It's not going to be her year this year, though, unfortunately. She is great in the Fablements, but at the same time, I feel like maybe if she had a little bit more to work with, at least she had uh, Spielberg's, you know, vulnerability when it when it comes to like you know depicting his own mother. Uh, tenderly but also with with pain and she exemplifies that but um it's just a really tough category this year so uh michelle williams number five Anna de armas number four i feel like if andrew dominic wasn't such a sadist and uh you know disgusting person when it comes to the representation of women maybe there would have been a better screenplay better direction that Anna de armas could have had um don't get me wrong blonde's well directed in an artistic sense when it comes to like its subject it is such a such a sadistic film and i feel like anna de armas whatever shortcomings she may have had may have come from a director that quite frankly wasn't really caring about the source material anyways not as much as anna de armas herself was um she, i'd like she to get a do-over movie yeah is that or more meaty films that anna de armas can can sink her teeth into as opposed to like i don't know action and stuff so um Maybe we'll see something of substance from her down the road. I feel like it's possible. Uh, for me, number three is Andrew Riseborough, who is such a chameleon of an actress, and I feel like she's finally getting some dues. I've loved her ever since Happy Go Lucky. Um, I'm just very happy that she got recognized for this. And I think the whole scandal around her nomination is, is complete and utter crap, but that's a story for another day. Um, I think she's brilliant in this, completely unrecognizable, and... Just so real, so effective, and she just broke my heart throughout the entire film. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, my number two and number one are kind of tied, but I placed what my heart wants to win at, at number two and what my brain thinks should win at number one, because I feel like one is subjective, one is objective. 
my subjective pick is uh, Michelle Yeoh for Everything Ever All at Once, who I've placed at number two, who I think is just one of the greats, one of the greats. And I feel like she embodies so many different personalities, characteristics, um, just so many different mindsets in this performance that just transcends time and space. And uh, when she's funny, she's hilarious. When she's kicking ass, it's Michelle Yeoh. I don't need to explain. Um, but the dramatic chops as well. I Give me more Crazy Rich Asians. Give me more everything over all at once. I want to see more dramatic Michelle Yeoh. Like, please just give it to me. It's just, uh, I, I feel like there's just so much goodness. And once she wins that Oscar, which is my prediction, um, hopefully we do get more of that. I know she's broken down saying, finally, directors are giving me something that has really taken into account all of my talents. Hopefully they continue to do that. My number one, I'm going with my brain, is Cape Blanchett, which is one of my favorite performances I've seen in years. To me, this was a conductor that I was watching. Just everything felt so natural. And just, uh, you could feel like why she was so magnetic to those that she preyed upon. And at the same time, uh, her corruption and how she just exiled everybody around her. Cape Blanchett is just so effortlessly just brilliant. Not once did it feel like, she did research for this role. She just felt like the part. And that's my number one. But yeah, Michelle Yeoh is going to win this thing. Now, if you thought that was tough, here are your nominees for Best Actor in Alphabetical Order of Said Actor. Um, number f- or We've got uh, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Meskel for Aftersun, the underrepresented Aftersun. And Bill Nye for a living. Rachel, uh, sorry, you're gonna have to rank. Um, so we use a phrase called a day at the office for some of our Oscar entries, and that just means the actor did a great job, but we did what was it, he did what was expected and awesome job. So that's why I put Colin Farrell at number five. I thought he was great, but I also thought I'd seen this kind of character from him before. So uh, then I've, I've got to tell you guys, best actor was just murder to rank and none of my rankings please me. So then at number four, I have Paul Mescal. He was beautiful. He was wonderful. He left so much mystery to his character, but you still knew all about him. But somebody had to be number four. Then I've got Butler, who totally embodied Elvis in the same way that De Armas did with Marilyn. Um, and I just think he did a splendid job. See, like, I can't say anything bad about any of these guys. They were so fabulous. I just, I hated ranking them every second of ranking them. Number, okay, so then we do have a bit of a gap between the top two, because the top two were both spectacular in my view. Nai was portraying a really self-contained character who was really understated, and he had to portray everything in a really quiet way, and he did such a beautiful job. And I have to say, I ranked somebody else number one, who you all know who it is. But there's one scene I keep coming back to from the entire Oscar season, and it might be my favorite scene, and I think Living might be my favorite movie of this season. But this scene is the Rowan Tree. And if you see that scene from this uh, film, that's where Bill Nye won me over. He was beautiful, and it's the one moment where he really stands out a bit. So I would, I would recommend watching it and paying special attention in that scene. Uh, number one, it's got to be Fraser. It's got to be Brendan Fraser. And no, it's not Fraser. That's a psychiatrist from Seattle. It's Brendan Fraser. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got mad about it. <laughs> but anyway, just that was such a tough character. That was such a tough role physically, mentally, covering very difficult material. And he just, he had such grace. He gave that role grace. 
And it was that grace that drove the movie. And I sat in that theater ugly crying and thought I'm going to look like an idiot when the lights come up. And then they came up and everybody else was ugly crying too. So Brendan Fraser, I hope you bring the Oscar home. And I don't think you're a lock, but I think you will take it home. I really do think he's the one to beat. I think Butler could win. I think there is a shot, but I think that right now Fraser is running away with it. Yeah, I'm in agreement that this was a really tough category to rank. Did you have the same issue, James? I thought it was really difficult because I think unlike the, like, I think the actress one, there's just so many things to consider. But, you know, I think all across the board, the actors were all in really good movies. I mean, not, not to say any movie was bad in the actress category. I mean, except for Blonde, but, you know. It is what it is. But I think it's just like everything was so solid. It's like, how do you rate this? But, you know, actually, I think my list is actually the exact same. I mean, Colin Farrell, it, it, it was Colin Farrell being Colin Farrell. It was great, but it's it's what I expected him. <laughs> Paul Mezcal at four. I thought he was really good. I think he really pulled off the, you know, out, outwardly joyous but suffering in silence role really well especially with how just the story was kind of arranged and all that with, um, with after sun. And, and I usually, I've been getting tired of like coming of age movies, but this one actually kind of did something a little bit fresh for me. Uh, number three, Austin Butler. I thought Elvis was okay as a movie, but I think he, he like transformed into Elvis. Also like that's not an easy accent to, perfect i think there's a lot of cheesy ways to do the accent i think he just really like embodied the voice and the personality and you know i guess that you know the complicated relationship that he had relationships that he had just all around with like you know any partners his family his manager and uh you know and you know he had baz lerman directing him it's like you know baz lerman he's even if it's mid baz lerman is at least at the very least interesting when he directs people bill nye a second I thought this was just a great role and it's a good example. It's similar to when um, I kind of reminds me of Anthony Hopkins performance in the father. You can really utilize the more elderly actors in a really great way. Instead of just like, you know, delegating just the, you're the old person role. You can give them depth. And I thought this was great, especially, you know, this is someone who has to come to terms with like, you know, the, the end is approaching and just his, this idea it's like you know have i really lived and i think he really captured that and uh of course number one it's gotta be brendan fraser and this that performance it was just <clears throat> those kind of performances don't happen often and yeah, it's really, that's really how I can say of it. It was just amazing, especially just, just that one line, the one where he said, uh, I need to know that I've done at least one thing right in my life. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I just think he's going to win. And it's also just, his comeback is just, I think is the best thing ever. It was like, you know, he came into the game, you know, kind of in these, you know, kind of these goofy comedies and then became the action guy. And then, you know, he was kind of just sort of shut out. And had all these other problems he was dealing with. And it's like, you know, in recent years, he's like, come back. And it's like, almost like, it's like a breath of fresh air. Because it's like, we're really seeing what he's capable of compared to what, you know, he was kind of put in before, you know, this kind of blackout period for him. Yeah, as we know it, it's the renaissance. Um, 
Yeah, this was really tough. Uh, okay, please, everybody, don't kill me. Uh, not just co-hosts, but like all of America. Uh, this was really tough, and I'm separating everybody by by hairs, not by large margins. My number five is Austin Butler, and let me clarify why. He's excellent in the role. He could have easily been an imitator, like one of those Vegas Elvis imitators, and he wasn't. My only thing is, this is the only performance where I at least saw brief faults in it, where sometimes he was like a teensy bit over overacting or teensy bit a little bit off of the accent. But like, this is a guy who gave his all. And if he winds up winning the Oscar, I don't have a problem with that. I, I do think he was great. I'm just ranking here. So he is really great, but he's my number five just because he's the only performance that I can at least pick things apart with it, to any degree. And that kind of matters for me. Um, my number four is Paul Mescal and After Sun, a film which I cannot sing enough praises for. And in case you're listening, you could actually pre-order the uh, the Blu-ray box set, which I just did right now. It's fantastic. Go check it out. Um, so Paul Mescal is the most natural performance here. He's not necessarily a character or a person. He's kind of just somebody's dad who's trying to be in the in the in the in the life of his estranged daughter, and. It's almost like a tabula rasa for anybody who's had a similar impact on your life, whether it's a, a dad or anybody like a guardian who wanted to be in your life a little bit more and was struggling to do so. And there's no malice. There's no uh, nefarious side to this. He's just wanting to be there for his daughter, who he's never seen for most of his life, and he's struggling to do so. And it's just so nuanced, so understated. Loved it. I don't think this is going to be his only nomination. We'll for sure be seeing him again. Uh, my number three is Bill Nye for Living. This could have easily been the same thing that I was saying about the screenplay. This could have been a remake that was very Hollywoodized, excessive. This person who's so upset that he's dying and he's melodramatic. And it's Bill Nye. The guy's charming. He's known for like putting on like theatrics and being charming. He's a crazy rock star from Love Actually. Yeah, that, that exactly. He's known for being capable of being at the forefront of a film. But not here. He's not here. Instead, he's very much he's very much allowing the film to exist around him and it's just so beautiful how he goes about it and it really does feel like he's experiencing everything on the inside and the fact that you could feel it and knowing know exactly what he's feeling it's just beautiful and so tender um my number two is Colin Farrell I didn't place him last sorry everyone um I get what you're both saying about the day at the office but I feel like if this is a day at the office for Colin Farrell, this is the day that he saves the company. Like, <laughs> okay, that's not true because I feel like Banshee's of Inisherin is, is just great throughout. So that's a terrible comparison. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this was, let's say this is the day that he he won a major client over and he did really well. So um, he's hilarious here. Some of his most emotional acting. Um, he resonates in this film so, so, so much. It kind of makes me a little sad that he's no longer a front runner for this award at all. But I feel like now that he's finally getting nominated for the first time, he'll be back. He'll be back. Um, my number one, also Brendan Fraser. It's I have to force myself to say that's Brendan Fraser. Okay. Um, I'm from BC. I grew up next to the Fraser River. So. Oh, okay. So it's easy for you. <laughs> um, I've said this time and time again, Darren Aronofsky gets the most out of his stars. And um, I feel like we're, we will be capable of seeing Brendan Fraser being incredible from here on out now that he's going to be getting some serious actual roles that take into account how talented he is. 
and I can't add anything else to what's been already said. Um, why do I think Brendan Fraser might win? And this might change the closer we get to Oscar day in a couple of days um, as we record this. Austin Butler is the front runner, but I feel like the SAG Awards are actors voting for actors. And so is so are the acting categories in the Academy. It's not other Academy members. It's acting voting for acting. I feel like he's got the backstory. I don't think Austin Butler is going anywhere. I think he's going to be a mainstay in Hollywood. Brendan Fraser did go somewhere. He did disappear. And I feel like there is at least a part of a narrative sort of thing going on here. I know the BAFTAs, which are very anti-American, went for the most American icon here. But um, I'm going to go against the BAFTAs. I still think Brendan Fraser has a hair of a chance of winning. I think he's going to clinch it. Uh, I hope you're right. What might be a little bit easier to predict are our Best Director nominees. And here are your nominees for Best Director. Uh, all six of them. Why they're six, you'll find out. Uh, the Banshees of Inishir, and we've got Marta McDonough for Best Director. Everything Everywhere All at Once. We've got both Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart. Um, the Fableman, Steven Spielberg, of course, he's reserved his spot for next year as well. Um, Todd Field for Tar is also nominated. And fi- finally, surprise dark horse, Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. Who thought that was happening? Rachel, let's rank. So number five, um, I'm really, really thrilled that Ostland got nominated, but also I thought he lost points for his film being meandering and a little overlong. So he that knocked him to the bottom. Spielberg, again, he's great. He makes great movies. This was another great Spielberg movie, but it wasn't like Schindler's List great. It wasn't Jaws great. It was just a good entry in his lineup. McDonough, again, I think his film had all the elements. We'll get into this more in Best Picture. I thought uh, I thought on this film he was a really great project manager, and some of the best directors are. He just brought the best game from everybody working on that film, and that is a really high compliment. Field, again, I think Tar was risky. I think he had a very delicate balance to keep, and he pulled it off. Also, he does not make nearly enough movies. Uh, And number one, again, The Daniels. That was as risky as Tar in its own way. It was a genre film. It was all over the place, and deliberately so, and they kept the balance. And I think that they are going to win, because I think EAAO is deservedly riding the train. And we'll talk about that more in the next category. That sounds good to me, short and sweet. James, what about you? Are you in agreement? So I actually went Spielberg last because kind of the resounding sentiment when it comes to the Fablemans is it's a pretty standard Spielberg flick. Though I will say, I'd say people like him and Martin Scorsese being legends, I think they're doing the one thing that, let's say, um, Clint Eastwood and Woody Allen are really bad at is they can coast on their style and not get stale. Like, I can still get excited for a Spielberg movie and a Scorsese movie, but I can't get excited for those two because it's like there's like two types of legends, ones that are mainstays and then twos who are like, you can leave any time if you want. I'm not going to tell you to go, though. Um, And the the middle section was really hard for me because I don't think there's any bad direction in any of this. And I think that's what's making this whole season difficult. It's like there aren't that many things that are objectively bad. It's just they're all different. <clears throat> but uh Ustland for the next spot because like i thought it was a really great movie i i just think there wasn't anything particularly special about the directing i thought it was well done but nothing really special um and now the top three is where uh it gets tricky i think 
Todd Field, third. And I think it's just I got to put somebody at third. Like I like I have my I have my um gripes about Tar, but it was like it was really well directed. I think like it was it was one of the best examples of like scene blocking, particularly, and how just everything moved. Uh, then I got to go with Martin McDonough second, just because I don't know there was something magical about what he did with Banshees. Also, Martin McDonough is fascinating. He's like one of the few filmmakers who literally will just drop a film, disappear completely for like five years, and then drop another good one, and then just like rinse and repeat. He just sort of comes in and disappears, dropping really good films every time. And it's like, dude, I need him to do more stuff because he's he's never around that long <laughs> when he is. But I got to go with the Daniels for number one. This was an ambitious project, and what they were able to do. One on a small budget, it was like fourteen point something million dollars. Also, I found out that I don't remember if it was um, it was shot, and I think it was either thirty eight or thirty nine days. That was the shoot. It was like what they pulled off in such a short amount of time, and just having everything so like tightly knit is just fascinating. Especially, it, I think it's also one of the best examples of the multiverse we're seeing because like Marvel's doing it, but I think this is just a a step above that maybe because i'm kind of burnt out on marvel but yeah i don't know it was just like the ideas are so big it's like only certain individuals can do it also apparently i don't remember for which one i think it might be daniel kwan one of them actually it was inspired by their um because one of them has adhd and that actually informed the creation of this movie and i was like oh that makes sense because it's apparently the movies are really big hit with people with adhd because they're like that's kind of how my brain works <laughs> i can attest to that yeah. Overall, I thought they all did a good job, but yeah, I guess that's my ranking. What do you think is going to win? I think the Daniels are going to take it. Also, the Daniels is fun to say. I know it, it is. It, you know, it's going to be like I, I bet you, like Lee Daniels is at home. Like, damn it, that should be me. I should have been the first Daniels. Well, why don't they all make a movie together? <laughs> that's true. Uh, the, all three Daniels, the, the three amigos, that'd be amazing. Um, alrighty, so. I've got Spielberg Glass as well. Look, I think The Fablements is actually uh, quite a great film. I like it quite a lot. But, like, this, for me, is where it feels like Spielberg was having another day at the office. It's like, you're here. You did a great job. For me, there's nothing exemplary about this that I haven't seen him do before. But it's Steven Spielberg. So even if he, I don't know, like, was, like, eating cereal he could make that fascinating somehow i'm sure he's got um, too many bangers to live up to from his past it's like dude you've already done too many great things like <laughs> it is a great film but like uh nothing extraordinary that i haven't seen from him before um but i don't mind his nomination let's just say that um number three ruben uslin who i love in general force majeure and the square are brilliant films i'm growing to like triangle sadness more but my biggest gripe before like like what was brought up before the pacing issues are a little bit you know kind of out there like they kind of stall the film a little bit and i've actually seen it in an interview i think he did it with letterboxd he wanted the scenes to go on for even longer and it's like dude no like at that point it would have been insufferable um nonetheless i feel like the balance of themes and genres and tones is pretty well done and in general ruben Austin's a brilliant director so i'm happy he's been nominated at all at least for his oeuvre of work um number three i've got uh the 
yeah, I'm going to go with the Daniels, everything ever, all at once. I feel like this is a bit of a leap to the next level, um, considering that these guys started off with the music videos and now they're making this. Like, they've absolutely crossed that bridge from that sort of uh, filmmaking and artistry to this one very well, but they never lost their touch as to what made their eccentric videos so good. Um, I don't really have much to say about Swiss Army Man, but this film is just, uh, again, the more I revisit it, the 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 more I realize it's actually just really, just really close to untouchable in ways. So it's a fantastic film. And I, I don't think it's a now film. I feel like it's going to transcend time. And I just have to make a quick joke because of uh, James, you were talking about the shooting schedule. Are you insisting that they shot everything everywhere all at once, everything everywhere all at once? Having, <laughs> having said that, um, my number two is Marta Madonna, the Banshees of Inishirin. Do I feel like the screenplay carries the film somewhat? Uh, the screenplay does outshine a direction, but this is for sure Martin Madonna's best direction that I've seen him ever do. Um, the artistry is just so beautiful. Like you get to see uh, this fictitious Irish island in just such a beautiful natural light. And I feel like the blending of genres, if if Oslin did a good job, Madonna did a great job with the blending of tragedy and comedy in this film. I really do think that this is his magnum opus, better than Seven Psychopaths, um, in Bruges, Three Billboards, like Banshees is just, I think this is going to be the film that Madonna is going to be known for in the in the future. Um, my number one is Hot Field, Tar. I feel like the, this feels like a waltz almost, or like uh, Todd Field himself is composing a symphony, and the film itself has these different passages that are either very long or very, very snappy, and um, I feel like the slow burn progression is just so natural, so organic. Like it doesn't feel like you're watching a film in my opinion. It feels like you're experiencing life through art. And I'm going to be talking about this film more. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it at that for now. Who do I think is going to win? Um, might as well build two trophies or might as well craft two trophies. We've got the Daniels winning this one. And I don't think it's going to be any contest. A double win has happened a couple of times, like the uh, directors of West Side Story, the Coen brothers, so you never know. Yeah, and now it makes me feel like they could have been so much more, I don't know, um, you, you know, uh, or they could have been so much more economic if they were just called the Coens, I feel like, <laughs> just make it easier for everybody. Anyway, now we're getting into the big one, Best Picture, yes. there are 10 nominees. And there are 10 of these, so Oof. yeah. Let's let's try and keep it short and sweet. Uh, here they are in alphabetical order. God help us. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Alrighty, Rachel, the next hour is yours. I'm keeping this extremely snappy because we're already over an hour, so... Elvis, long, unwieldy, should have been more daring and gone Baz Luhrmann or been a conventional biopic. Number 10. Moving on. Avatar. Looked cool. Terrible story. Moving on. All Quiet at number 8. Really cool movie. Failed at doing its job. As an adaptation. Moving on. Number 7. Triangle of Sadness. Too long. All of you were too long this year. Make it shorter. Triangles at number 7. Fablemans. Standard Spielberg. Standard Spielberg is good Spielberg. Love the origin. Call it Spielberg Begins. Now we're moving on to our top five. Top five, number five is Top Gun. Again, the story could have been worked on, but the special effects were so cool that nobody cared, and Tom Cruise was appealing as always. 
Number four, women talking. Very tough subject matter, very great source material from the novel, powerhouse acting, brilliantly put together, little dialogue heavy, but that goes with the territory. Tar, number three, stunning performance, incredible editing, probably too long, but who cares, Kate Blanchett is right there in front of us. Number two, EEAO, all over the place, somehow held together despite that. Really awesome work from everybody involved, incredible acting, phenomenal, it's probably going to win everything, I've picked it as my winner, and yeah, I just think this is the one to beat, and I'm really, really, really thrilled that a genre film is probably going to take it. Number one, Banshees of Sharon. When I said McDonough was a great project manager, I meant it. I think best picture often means most well-rounded picture. And this is the one where I think everybody just played together perfectly and all the elements came together best. So I put Banshees as my top. I don't think it's winning. Everything everywhere is taking it. And I can't breathe. The end. <laughs> that was... Uh... That itself was a symphony, and that was incredible. Uh, James, I don't know how you're going to follow that up. Oh, I'll, I'll follow it up uh, the best I can. Uh, number 10, Top Gun, because it's Top Gun, and it, it was it was decent, but not that interesting. Avatar, it looked cool, but no, <laughs> no more of them. Um, next, Elvis. Yeah, I, I think it was Baz Lerman. I love Baz, but it's like he doesn't need to be so extra sometimes. Um, as I move down the list, it gets a little bit more difficult. I gotta go All's Quiet primarily because it's just like it's standard war flick. Um, Fablemans uh, or Spielberg Begins. Uh, standard Spielberg, pretty good. You know, I'd watch it again maybe eventually. Um, after that, um, Triangle of Sadness. Uh, I thought it was really good. I don't really have any comments about that. Uh, next is Tar. And I'm doing this objectively because I have my complaints. One, I think it's too long. Uh, the only other thing I have to say, my main thing, Tar is an example of, of why films of this ilk alienate casual moviegoers. I'm not going to go into detail. We can talk about it another time for the sake of keeping time. Uh, next, Women Talking. I thought... I thought it was a really good film. This was the one I was like, I was more, I, I just, I was constantly interested the entire time. Like, where is this going to go? Uh, next is Banshees because Martin, Martin McDonough, the project manager comment that Rachel had, that's spot on. Just, there was something about this that was just really, they pulled it off really well. But everything ever all at once, number one, it's just a magical film that will stand the test of time. And yeah, I think it's going to win. Alrighty, here is uh, I guess my version of uh, I don't know as being as brief as possible. Apparently, I'm failing. Uh, number ten, I've got Elvis. Uh, this was a three-hour trailer, but a pretty good trailer at that. Um, number nine, <laughs> Avatar: The Way of Water. It's Avatar in water. Number eight, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, yeah, if you want to improve Top Gun, I guess they did it. Um, Number seven, All Quiet with All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, I feel like once the award season is finished, maybe the hubbub will uh, subside. I don't know. Number six is The Fablemans, which uh, I feel like is uh, a very noble effort from from Steven Spielberg. But uh, it's again, it's not one of his top tier films. It's, it's a damn good one, though. 
Number five, Triangle of Sadness, even though Ruben Usland, a triangle too hard with this one a little a little bit at times. My appreciation for it is growing. Is that to me or the film? It's <laughs> growing a little bit over time. Number four, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, or at fourth, I would have to say. Um, I still love the film. I feel like there's a quite a bit of a leap from this film and the ones that will follow afterwards. Number three, Women Talking. Uh, and that's good enough to be third. Um, I just found this riveting and... Uh, I feel like, I hope this one is not lost with time. Please don't forget this film. Number two, The Banshees of Inishirin. And uh, coincidentally, there are two of them going at it. Best friends, now they hate each other. So uh, I thought this was a beautiful blend of genres. And this is going to go down as uh, Madonna's magnum opus, in my opinion. And number one, Tar, because nobody else will get anywhere close to Lydia Tar except for, I guess, me, I guess, was ranking her number one. She's been canceled otherwise. Um, this go was for Twitter. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I I need to follow her Twitter. Yes, it's uh, this is this is her tar her her Twitter from uh, where she uh, I don't want to spoil the film wherever she, wherever she winds up being. Um, this was uh, one of the only films I gave a perfect score to last year, including After Sun and All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. My second favorite film of twenty twenty two. Love tar, fantastic. It's not going to win. Everything ever all at once is going to win unless all all quite on the Western Front ruins everything. Please don't do that. <laughs> so. That's it for our Oscars roundtable. Do we have any final thoughts before it's too late and everything is locked and we've got Oscars coming up? I guess the votes by this point are mostly already in, so I just hope everyone has a fun, clean game. If Key doesn't win, I riot. Okay, he... Qu- oh, okay. Oh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So I don't think there's going to be any rioting here, and uh, especially not because Will Smith's not allowed to come back. <laughs> uh, anyway, that is it for our Os- Oscars roundtable. Uh, thankfully, nobody has to invite us to this, otherwise they would not invite us back after that. Um, enjoy the Academy Awards. We will have a follow-up episode, and it's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. And uh, let us know how you did with your predictions as well. Follow us on our socials. That was the K-Cut. We are now going to the